good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Please turn tonight in the Word of God to 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings 2 and the verse number 1, and let's hear the word of the Lord. And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he said, Yea, I know it, hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came to Elisha and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, Yea, I know it, hold ye your peace. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off, and they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters, and they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee, before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and part of them both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen are off. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. And when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. In the narrative of the word of God, we don't read of Elisha from 1 Kings 19 all the way through to 2 Kings chapter 2. There is that period in the word of God where his name is not recorded I don't think that is a surprising fact, given what we noted at the end of last week. Elisha, at the call of God, took the humble place of service. He was known as the man who poured water on Elijah's hands. I think it is apparent in the Word of God 
that God prepares men for service. And so there is this period of preparation. But as you come to 2 Kings chapter 2, we see that this is now a time of transition. Transition between Elijah's prophecy and the ministry of Elisha. And the concern is very simple. What happens when Elijah departs? That's the sense of verse number 12. Elisha saw it and cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. These words, they convey a sense of intimacy. My father, my father, the repetition of the term. A sense of loss that arises out of respect and affection. The chariot there refers to Elijah himself. Elijah was of greater defense to Israel than all the armies. He was there as a man of God, giving instruction and prayers. Oh, what a benefit he was. He was more than the chariots of the nation's army. He was more than the horsemen thereof. He was a mighty man of God. Again, just in passing, it's worth noting the value of the men of God in the life of a nation. The contribution that they make to the safety and the preservation of the cause of God. So this concern is what happens when Elijah departs. And that concern provokes the question in verse number 14. When Elisha comes to the waters of Jordan, he says, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Transition. Elijah's gone. And so where is Elijah's God? God's work often comes across periods of transition. And transition is not always smooth. Great men pass on to be with the Lord and the cause of the gospel seems to suffer. You take Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in England, when they left, there was trouble and difficulties after the moving on of these great men of God. So what is it about this period of time that means that God's cause does not suffer in time of transition? What are the principles that we can glean from this chapter? Now, we will spend a few weeks in this chapter. We'll look particularly later on at the accounts at the end of the chapter because they themselves take on great significance. But tonight I want to overview the entire narrative and think to begin with about the recognition of need here. There is a recognition of need. Now, the thoughts here are are very familiar, but I trust uh, they are beneficial by way of reminder to your hearts. The narrative here records Elijah's translation to heaven. And that translation follows a journey around the various prophetic schools. You saw what's happening there. There's uh, various times when Elijah tells Elisha to tarry because the Lord has sent him to, to Bethel, to Jericho, and then to Jordan. They're visiting the various schools of the prophets. The journey, about 35 miles. Now, we're not told. We're not told why Elijah desired privacy, uh, nor are we told why Elisha contested that desire for privacy. I think we can speculate that Elijah knew something of his departure. And perhaps from humility, did not want that that departure to be observed. That's only speculation, but it is a suggestion. What we see in Elisha is his persistence 
in the task that God has given him. He is to serve Elijah, he is to be loyal to his master, and he demonstrates that at this time of following him. But the purpose, and in the purpose of God, we find that this, uh, this journey from place to place provokes a question from Elijah in verse number 9. There's a statement, should I say, What shall I do for thee before I be taken away from thee? And Elisha asks in return, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. It's a vitally important part of the, of the story. What is Elisha asking for? When does he ask for it? Why does he ask for it? Many, many questions arise about this double portion. So to begin with, what is he asking for? Well, there are two things that, are, that must be considered, the double portion itself and what is meant by Elijah's spirit. The double portion to begin with is, is not Elisha asking for double what Elijah had. This double portion is referred to in Deuteronomy 21 and the verse 17, uh, speaking of the inheritance of the firstborn. The sense was that the firstborn got double the inheritance of the other sons in the family. It has to do with the firstborn having the means to continue on the family business. It was inheritance for the purpose of continuance in the family business. So that's something about the double portion. What about Elijah's spirit? Literally, the text says in verse number 9, the spirit that is thine. Now, some read this as a suggestion that Elisha, well, he, he was more timid. And he wants to have something of Elijah's boldness. He wants to have a measure of Elijah's zeal and passion. Is that what's in view here? We have in verse 15 the truth that the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. Is it that Elisha becomes more like Elijah? Now surely that is not what's in view here. What's in view here must be a reference to the ministry of the Holy Ghost. That what marked Elijah's ministry would now mark Elisha's ministry. That he would, in New Testament terms, be a spirit-filled man. The ministry of the Holy Ghost does not begin in the Word of God at Pentecost. He is the eternal Spirit of God. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 is when the Spirit of God is poured out in unique great measure upon the fledgling New Testament church. A means of comforting the disciples, of inspiring the New Testament scriptures, of empowering the beginning of the church. But it's not the first occurrence of the Spirit's power being brought upon men. Even the psalmist would say, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Old Testament believers knew the power of the Holy Ghost. Samson, Judges chapter 15, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. But of course, we know the story of Samson. He was enticed by Delilah. Delilah says, The Philistines be upon thee. And what does Samson forget? He wist not. He knew not. 
that the Lord was departed from him. And this clearly does not mean that Samson was saved and lost. Samson's in Hebrews chapter 11 as a hero of the faith. But what is occurring in Samson's ministry is that he has grieved the Spirit, and the part of the Spirit has departed from him. And so what we see here in 2 Kings chapter 2 is Elisha praying for the firstborn's inheritance for the continuation of the Father's work. And that's the significance here. He's coming to Elijah. He's conscious of the power of God in Elijah's ministry. And he's understanding, Elijah, Elijah, my father, my father. He comes with that spiritual relationship. Elijah the father, Elijah the son, and the son is praying, give me the firstborn's portion so that I may continue your work. That's the significance of this when you compare it in light of the rest of the word of God. And so, with that in mind, and I hope I've carried your conscience there to some degree, when does he ask for it? Well, he's asking for it before Elijah departs. This is not the case of praying to dead saints. This is a, a realization that he's coming, and Elijah's saying to him, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. Now, I don't think that in asking for this, that we should think it was in Elijah's power to answer this request. I don't think that's the point. Verse number 14 makes it clear. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? These men understood that they were depending upon the Lord's power at this time. Furthermore, Elijah says, Thou hast asked a hard thing, verse number 10. That, of course, denotes the importance of the provision, but I think it also makes the point that it was not in Elijah's power to give it. It was God who had bestowed this inheritance. It was God who had bestowed this portion on Elisha. And I think what's happening here is that Elijah is coming to Elisha, verse 9, and saying, What shall I pray for you before I be taken away from thee? I think that seems to be the sense of the words here. And that's what we have with Elisha, is Elisha coming to the older generation and asking for the blessing of God upon the future of the work of God. I think that's a sense here. It is right that the younger generation in God's work encourage and beseech prayer from the older generation. It's right and proper that there is a continuing awareness in the church of God that one generation passes and another follows. And the younger generation must understand that they need the prayers of the older generation. There's a sense of passing on the mantle, passing on the work, but not only in passing on the ministries, but in also requiring the same power of God. This time of transition, 
is Elisha coming with a recognition of his need of the Spirit of God. And he's happy to express that need to the older generation. So why is he asking for it then? I think the obvious answer is he's asking for it out of a sense of his utter need, a sense of his own weakness. When we are aware of our inability in our own strength, we will then ask for the spirit of Elijah and Elisha to rest upon us. Self-sufficiency is the gangrene of the church. Whenever you have self-sufficiency present in the body of God's people, it eats away the vibrancy of the church. And you just need to look at the modern-day church to prove that is the case. Self-sufficiency, that spirit of personal ability to do the work of God, that self-sufficient spirit is the cause of faltering prayer meetings and in many circles, the absence of prayer meetings altogether. That can only come by a spirit of self-sufficiency. And the consequence of such a prayerless congregation is a congregation that bit by bit is eaten away from the inside out. It's a gangrene of the church. You see, youthful pride, youthful pride destroys the work of God. The transition periods of uh, denominations and churches as young people come up behind the older generation, and one of the tendencies of young people is, we know better, and we'll show the older ones their mistakes. And such a pride comes from that spirit of self-importance and self-sufficiency. Tragically, there are many people marked by youthful pride in their 20s and their 30s, and when they get to their 60s, they realized how godly the previous generation had been. Or when they came into the active function of church, perhaps a, a new band of deacons or elders, and they came to, to work in the church, and they, uh, they looked at the people who went before them, and they looked upon them with disdain. What did they do for God? And they thought, we were going to do better than this. And they have that pride and arrogant spirit. And thus the transition period of denomination and churches goes horribly wrong as churches decay and rot from the gangrene of self-sufficiency. Elisha, he understood his need. He understood that if he was to serve in the room of Elijah, he must have the Spirit of God resting upon him. And he received what he asked for. There was a condition given. Elijah said, it's a hard thing you ask for, but if you see me when I'm taken from thee, then you shall have it in essence. And verse number 12 simply says, and Elisha saw it. He's blessed with the sight of Elijah's translation. And Elijah's promise is fulfilled. The lesson's obvious, and I've already hinted at it very much. Each and every generation of the church needs the power of the Holy Spirit to see the continuation of God's purposes. Cannot impress this upon you enough. If you are not continually and urgently praying for the power of the Spirit of God each and every week in this ministry, then I plead with you to start praying that now. Nothing will be accomplished in the work of God in this place but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you have to begin with there this recognition of need. 
And in the second place, we note the demonstration of this power. The parting of the Jordan occurs twice in this chapter. Again, that event is understood in various ways and typical significance by some people. But in the simple reading of the text, there's one thing that stands out. It is the demonstration of the part of the Spirit of God. Verse 14, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. So what's happening? As the waters are split, as Elisha strikes the waters, so that is a demonstration of the part of the Lord God of Elijah as he had done the same earlier on in verse number 8. It's a demonstration that the Lord God of Elijah now rested upon Elisha. Elisha needed the Spirit of God. God granted him that Spirit. And that gift was then evidenced in the display of power. If the church today needs the Spirit of God... And if God has promised to grant the Spirit to those that ask Him, then when the Spirit comes, we should expect that power to be manifested. We should not believe we have the Spirit of God resting upon us when there's the absence of the signs of the Spirit of God resting upon us. The sons of the prophets they had not seen Elijah depart, but they saw the Jordan parting, and they saw the miracle repeat in their conclusion. In verse 15, the spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. Orthodox sermons, good church government, a separate witness. All of these things are blessings that we may enjoy. But yet those things can be enjoyed, and yet the work will not progress. If the Bible is teaching as it does the necessity of the Spirit of God, then we must understand that when the Spirit of God comes upon the church, then there's evidence following His coming. The evidence of power. There is that continual linking in the Word of God between the Spirit of God and power. You have it in Luke chapter 14 and verse 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. And ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Paul would say that his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. When the Spirit comes, there's power. How do we quantify that? How do we measure that? Well, the Spirit comes in measure upon the church. There are times when that power is seen in, in great measure under a multitude of souls being saved. But the church is not the church without the power of the Spirit of God. And so in some measure, if we know the Spirit upon us, we should see conviction of sin under the preaching of the Word. We just see souls being converted under the preaching of the Word. We just see the extension of Christ's kingdom under the ministry of the Word. These are the signs of the Spirit of God when He comes in power upon the church. And so we pray for this, and we should, we should not believe we have it until we see those signs. 
So yes, the measure of that will vary from generation to generation, from time to time. But on your review, the work of the church over six months, over a year, there should be people able to testify. The Word of God came with power upon my soul. I knew my sin. I saw my Savior. Repentance was strengthened. Faith was strengthened. My love for Christ was strengthened. These are things that the Spirit of God does in accompanying the ministry of the Word. And so there is this recognition of need, and then there's a demonstration of power. And then finally, there is the continuation of a faithful ministry. I said to you, this chapter marks transition. And the events of the end of the chapter are very significant. The healing of the waters of Jericho and the cursing of the children who mock the prophet of God. Now, we will look at those narratives uh, later on in our study. But simply for now, note that when the Spirit of God comes upon Elisha, his ministry is marked by the announcement of God's grace in Jericho and God's justice upon the children who mock the prophet of God. That is the marks of God's ongoing ministry. And praise God, God continued to work in the life and the ministry of Elisha as he had done in the life and ministry of Elijah. Transition times. Causes concern for denominations and churches. Where will we be in 10 years' time? X number of men retired. How will the work of God continue? We, we must take confidence in the continuing nature of God's work. That God does not leave himself without a witness. And I think one thing we should understand here is that as Elijah departed, God's power does not depart with Elijah. And though God is pleased to work through men, God's work does not depend on men. Certainly does not depend upon individual men. And so though churches and denominations may enter transition, God's work continues. And God is pleased to raise up new servants, to grant new outpourings of power upon those servants, so that the work of God will not suffer loss. Praise God, having given us His Son, and his son, having come and willingly offered himself a ransom for many, praise God, time will not thwart the purpose of God. Transition does not thwart the purpose of God. And our blessed Savior shall see the travel of his soul, and he shall be satisfied. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.